Let's pray together as we begin our study. Father in heaven, speak to us now through your word that prompted men and women to speak it in days of old. And now we pray that your spirit will guide and direct our minds as we seek to understand and grasp and follow in your footsteps. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Community takes two or three or four or more, but whatever the number is, it's more than one. Community is more than one. Community is plural. Here's the problem, though. Plural is messy. You probably know that. You've recognized that in your life. We've all had our share of uh, painful plural. We've all found ourselves regularly annoyed by plurals that share our space. Don't look beside you. Don't look in front of <laughs> Yes, it makes sometimes living on our own island sound inviting. But despite our commitment and our interest in solidarity, everyone loves connection. Everyone loves connection. Everyone needs connection. There's comfort in having someone to rely on. No one knows this truth better than a person who owns a piano. (laughs) Whether we admit it or not, we need help on occasion lifting heavy things, whether they're physical things, whether they're emotional things or relational things. We can all benefit from someone who helps us lift something heavy. Sociologists would lead us to believe that this is a social phenomenon something embedded in us over millions of years of development. It's not, though. Because we were made this way from the start. God made us this way. From creation, we were hardwired for connection. We are hardwired for community. It's God's idea. How do I know this? Because it's a characteristic of God. And You and I bear God's image. We are made in his image. And so he set us up for community on purpose. Because in community is where life-enriching, purpose-directing, calling, and spiritual engagement and enrichment with life-transforming benefits are found. That's why. In community. Now we've been talking about church here. This is our sixth and we're finishing up this morning. huh? It's, it's been a privilege for me to be with you in worship as we study this most important subject. And uh, I, as I mentioned to you at the beginning, this pandemic has caused me to, to think more about this. The political un- unrest, the social upheaval that, that I see going around me has, has made me think and wonder, what about church? Why church? Maybe you have as well. And to me, it's been encouraging to know what God thinks about church, especially at a time when people have deemed it among the non-essentials. But this Sabbath, we conclude 
and uh, this series. But next week, we begin a new series that will take us to the end of 2020. And um, it will, I, I believe it will help us celebrate this, this grandest and most glorious season of the year, Christmas and the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ. So we're calling it a prophetic Christmas, a prophetic Christmas, and it's rooted in the powerful Old Testament imagery of such places as Daniel and particularly the first chapters of the book of Matthew. Matthew 1 and 2 draws our attention to this truth, the prophetic roots of Jesus' arrival. It's going to be neat. It's going to be exciting. You know, Jesus' first coming was a fulfillment. It just wasn't a random thing. It was a fulfillment of of God's divine plan, Jesus' first coming. And the particulars of that design and plan are really for us life-directing and spiritually transforming. So it'll be It'll be interesting and fun to, to prepare for this season and prepare for his return by looking at his first coming and, and uh, prophetic picture. And next week, Pastor John Roney gets to be first at bat here on the platform and lead off with an enriching study of a prophetic name that Jesus used more often than any other name. So you have to wait till next week to find out what that name is. But uh, it's part of the, a prophetic Christmas. Um, but as we conclude this study of uh, the church and some of the major metaphors, of course, there are <clears throat> scores of metaphors that the Bible uses to speak about the church, but we've just been looking at some of the large ones, the major ones that impact us as the followers of Christ But before we launch in this morning, I want to just share a bit about my own experience, my first experience with church. Is that all right? I told you on a number of occasions that church is where I was saved. I was saved in a church. Little 50th Avenue Baptist Church right across the field from our, our house. That's where I gave my life to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior at 18 years old. And it was a, a, a life-transforming experience. I was, a born, I was born again. Uh, just like Jesus said to Nicodemus, you must be born again. And that's, that's what happened to me. I had new life in God, and I have never regretted it. And neither will you. If, you're, if you haven't done that, this is the day. Give your life to the Lord Jesus Christ. You'll never regret it. But that's where it started for me. Little Baptist church right across the field from our house. But this first experience that I want to talk to you today about was the first time I went into a Seventh-day Adventist church. So this is the first time I went into an Adventist church. And it was the beginning of winter quarter. So not very far away from here, but a long time ago. A long time ago, and I, uh, it was my winter quarter of my third year on the campus of WWSC. Anyone know what that is? Walla Walla State College. It's not Walla, it's, I mean, sorry. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Western Washington State College. See, I just got Walla Walla in my mind. It's a place so great that you just can't get it out of your head. 
Western Washington State College. I was enrolled there. It was my third year. And uh, it was winter quarter. And um, from the witness of a buddy of mine, high school buddy, who was a Catholic and became a Seventh-day Adventist. And the conversations that we had had since my giving my life to Christ and this third year in college, I was convinced that I should be worshiping on Saturday. I just, the, I couldn't get around it. I knew it was really weird. I knew that I was going off in a strange tangent. I, I just knew it. I was becoming something that was really strange. But I, I just felt this is what God is leading me to do. So being convinced that that was the case, um, I thought, I've got to start doing this. So it was my, just starting out the quarter. So the first Saturday, I walked down from my apartment there at the Western Washington State College campus down to Bellingham Seventh-day Adventist Church. And wouldn't you know it, it was just a walk away. I didn't have a car on campus. And so I just walked down to it. And as I stepped into the camp, into the church, off the street, in a door, and sat down and surveyed the congregation, it was apparent to me that I was the only one of 10,000 students at Western Washington University uh, State College that was there that morning. And when they called for prayer, I was the first time I'd ever knelt for prayer in a church. I'd been going to ch- church for for two and a half years, but never knelt for church. And you know, it really knelt for prayer, and it really felt good. I thought, well, this is nice, you know. This is nice. And then I left the same way I came, out of what I discovered to be a little used door that dropped down onto the street, and I headed home. This this repeated itself for three, maybe four weeks. Every time I was never greeted, never said anything to anyone. No one shook my hand. I didn't shake anyone else's hand. But um, about the fourth week, I think it was, instead of turning left out of the spot in my pew where I was sitting, I turned right toward the center aisle. And that led to the foyer. (laughs) I'd never been in the foyer before. I'd come up, it was a strange thing. You've got to watch the, your, the doors of your church, people. <laughs> it was a strange thing. I entered into the foyer. And wouldn't you know it, I was embraced by the most loving community. It was the most loving community I'd ever met in my life, really. And from then on, I'd never, I don't remember till this day ever walking home again after church. I'm sure I did. But what I remember now is that every sa- Sabbath after that, I was always invited somewhere. You know, people thought, this is a strange looking creature. Let's see what, what it is. And they invited me home for lunch and, and we went on Sabbath walks together. We, we sat around the, the piano and sang songs together, songs I'd never heard and didn't know, but enjoyed learning. And... Um, Sabbath afternoons often found me with members of that church that were strangely distant from me, either younger or older. But all together, there we were in nature or at Vespers. And I learned from those people what, what Sabbath keeping was all about. And, and then there were Saturday nights. 
Saturday evenings, I, I don't know how many of them are, there were, but it seems like we always gathered in the gym there on the church campus and we p- played volleyball. Now, don't ask me why I played because it was the most miserable volleyball, volleyball I've ever had in my life. I mean, they couldn't even keep it up in the air more than one hit. But it was still fun, you know? It was fun. It was community. And I was baptized And I'll say again, I hate to tell you this, but I've been baptized three times. It took a long time to get it to stick. (laughs) I was baptized as an infant in a Presbyterian church. Baptized soon after my new life in Christ at 18-year-olds in a glad tidings church. And this was number three. Number three. Some of us require a bit more, a few more times down into the water. But I was baptized. And the following year, my fourth year in college, was my first year at WWC, Walla Walla College. And uh, I enrolled in theology. And uh, I didn't have the financial means to attend this private school. But you know, it was interesting. I was on my own, financially as well, And at the end of my first year at WWC, I discovered that my school bill that I expected to be several thousand dollars in debt to had been paid. I didn't know where or how. There it was, as big as life, paid. And it wasn't until my final year at WWC that I discovered who the generous person was. Who do you suppose it was? Someone from that Bellingham church. And it took me a while to even know who it was. So that, friend, is my first experience in church. That changed me. That changed me. It supported me. It enriched me. It sustained me. It grew me. It loved me. Like, like, well, like nothing else has or could. And that, my friends, is church. Church is not a thing. Church is not an event. Church is not a building. Church is not a place to worship God. Church is people who worship God. That's what church is. Church is a called out people. The Bible calls it the ecclesia. The ecclesia called out from a culture, a me-centered culture, into a God-centered, saving, restoring, life-transforming culture called church so those people that walk in off the church off the streets here at village church what do you think of them village what do you think of those folks that walk in you don't know who they are they look a little different from the rest of us maybe who are they well church are people who extend warmth and fellowship and community 
and support to those people. The same way that God has extended love and embraced them, you and me, in community. That's church. You see, Christianity is not a solitary affair. It's a community. It's a called out community. People who are called out from one family to be a part of another family. And Paul encourages us to be a part of this. We've looked at this. But look at this, Hebrews 10, 25. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another. You see, to separate community in Christ, as one person put it, is like, is like turning your back on a, bo- on a banquet that's right in front of you. Charles Wesley said that there's no such thing as a solitary Christian. Chris- Christianity is community. It's ecclesia. It's also true, by the way, as we gather, that the church cannot be ghettoized either. That's a, it, it, there wasn't even a spell checker that came up on that. But ghettoized, what do I mean by that? In other words, yeah, the church may be community, but the church is not a clique, right? The church is not a social club. The church is not an inward-focused gathering. William Temple famously said these words. The church, get this, the church is the only society that exists for the benefit of those who aren't members. Isn't that something? Think about that. The church is the one institution that exists for the sake of those outside of it. Now you may be thinking, I never thought of that. Why haven't you? Why haven't I? That's because church is just a comfortable place for us. But we don't think of it as, this is what we're about. We're about reaching others for Jesus Christ. We're about bringing them into this community. We gather to scatter. (laughs) That's why we gather to take the message of hope to whomever God gives us opportunity. That's what the church is. That's what we're about. The book of Acts tells us all about that. And I love the way Ellen White says in her book about that book called Acts of the Apostles. She says this, the church was organized for service and its mission is to carry the gospel to the world. From the beginning, it's been God's plan that through his church shall be reflected to the world his fullness and his sufficiency. Wow, that is you, that is me. Church together. Through the church to be reflecting the, the fullness of God's sufficiency. Wow. God doesn't want a slave-master relationship with us. That's not what he wants. He doesn't want obedience from us because we're fearful of the consequences. He wants a bride. That's what we talked about. He wants a bride. He doesn't want a slave. Christ's love for his church is not a flighty thing. Christ's love is tender and patient. Christ's love for his church is not fickle, it's committed. He intercedes for us constantly before the Father. He he nourishes us, he strengthens us, he cherishes us, he, he protects us. That's Christ's relationship with us. Christ's love for us was not just a mere affection. 
Christ's love for you, for me, was missional. Missional. He gave himself for you to make you holy. To make you like him. And then to send you out to the world for him, for his glory. You know, I, 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 I've been thinking, God may be using this COVID pandemic for all of us to think more seriously about our commitments. I think so. I think so. Our commitment to family, our commitment to friends, our commitment to community, our commitment to church. I think God is using it because the separation that we are experiencing between friends and family and members that's created during this era just seems to be growing deeper, doesn't it? As each month passes. You know, church leaders are wondering when, the, when this all is going to settle. You're, you're wondering too, huh? When is this all going to settle? But for us, you know, pastors here at Village Church, pastors in the Upper Columbia, pastors across North America, pastors around the world of every denomination are wondering, when is this going to stay? When is this going to stop? And what's going to happen when it does stop? I've listened to podcasts. I've read things and whatnot. There's, there's a lot of speculation out there. You know what the, the research is saying? That when we come back together, of course, this is just a, a what's it called when, uh, when they make a prediction? Yeah, whatever, a prediction, okay? So a hypothesis is too big for me to say. <laughs> so anyway, they're, they're making predictions that the church in attendance will decrease by 30 to 40% permanently. Permanently. That's what some are saying. Why? It's easier to stay home. Some of you watching on TV this morning, you're going, man, this is great. I roll out of bed, eat a little breakfast, and sit here in my pajamas and watch church. (laughs) That's not bad, huh? And some of you need to be doing that. I mean, some need to be safe, and that's the best place for you. So Thank God for that. I thank God for that. It's safe for, for you to stay home. Out of concern for your health, fear of an infection, distrust of the vaccine. I know that, that that's, that's an issue, okay? But there are all sorts of rifts that are happening in society about this whole thing, aren't there? There are. And it's creating barriers and uncovering barriers. But you know what I think? I think God is at work in this pandemic. No, God didn't cause it. But he sure wasn't surprised by it. And he's at work to do something special. I really believe he is. He's going to do something special. Because these barriers that we're experiencing are actually opportunities for us to grow in greater understanding of who we are, who God is, and what he wants us to be. I believe that. And church is a place where we can come and, and experience a bit of that. You no, know, it's, not, it's not a facility, but it is a gathering. And by the way, if you're gathering at home, that's fine. It's, it's a virtual gathering too. Just because you're not part of the church here in this space doesn't mean you're not part of church. I just want you to know you're, you are part of God's church. In small groups, in homes, and in wherever you find yourself, you're part of God's church. Church isn't a building, we said it. Church is not a place. Church is a called out people. 
And so maybe we're, this, this time together, this COVID time is helping us to expand our idea of what church is. Instead of, you know, maybe, maybe some people have said that maybe we need to change our idea about church. Instead of, you know, we think of church as something like this, come to us and help us do what we can do better. That's sort of what church is, you know. We can do it. Come help us do our thing. That's church. But maybe we need to adopt the Home Depot model. <laughs> What's the Home Depot model? Well, it says, you can do it. We can help. Maybe that's what we ought to be as a church. You can do it wherever you are. That doesn't mean you're not a part of the body of Christ. You are. But from various places, from home, from, from online, gathering together too, yes, in groups, at homes, in Bible studies and whatnot. But maybe, maybe this is a time for God, that God is calling us to think of church in a new way. Maybe God is nudging us toward a more biblical approach where we think of the church as a sending agency instead of a gathering place. Because that's what you are. You're an ambassador for God. And the job of village church is to scatter you. Right? To scatter you. To help you be God's agent in the workplace, in your home, in your neighborhood, in your community. You can do it. We can help. (laughs) Christ's love for his church is so deep that he identified us with us in such a real way. So much so, we talked about, he identifies with us like we're part of his body. We talked about that. He said in 1 Corinthians 12, 27, now you are the body of Christ and each one of you is part of it. Now this COVID pandemic, our virtual gatherings, our Zooming and our TV worships and whatnot have really only, in my mind, accentuated this truth, this Bible truth that you are Christ in the world. Whether you are able to come and gather here or not, you are Christ in the world. You are Christ in your community. And we are linking with you in some way or another. But together we are together part of His body. Through worship, through service, through love. There's a solidarity that we experience. Yes, even over the broadcast waves, you know. Yes, it's happening. Even in those ways. Because we are Christ's hands, His feet, His His incarnation in the world today. That's what the church is. And that happens whether we're we're able to gather here or not, right? Yeah. We work as one body. We may be separated, but we work as one body, right? That's what the Bible says. Work as one body for the well-being of the whole. Not individually for our own needs, but for the whole. Right now, people are isolated. Older members are secluded. I feel so for the residents in in senior housing facilities and and care facilities. I I feel for those people because they're cut off in many ways from friends and family. and, and, And they're suffering, really. Everything I've read and heard, the mental, spiritual, emotional safety is at risk because of this crisis 
there's deep depression, anxiety, and loneliness because of this separation, this forced isolation, has really only heightened my understanding of how community is so important. We're part of the body. And in this socially divisive, politically divisive era that we're living in, it's also been highlighted in my mind the importance that we are one. We're not divided. We're one. We're Christ's body. One spirit has brought us together and that one spirit cuts deeper than a multitude of things that divide. Right, church? Why? Because we've surrendered to Jesus Christ. That's why. Because he is the head. That's what it says, Colossians 1.18. He's the head. He's the head of this body and as the head... We are the church, we are his body, and, and we act in unison. If there's a part that's not acting by the head's direction, that is not a part of the body. As a believer, I become a part of that body. I represent that body. He guides and controls that body imagery, communicates the interconnectedness of us as a church. We are all part of that makes this whole. I like the way... Dietrich Bonhoeffer, a Christian leader in Germany during the Nazi years, said it. He said this, the church is the church only when it exists for others. Not dominating, but helping and serving. It must tell men of every calling what it means to live for Christ. That is the church, isn't it? Yeah, the COVID restrictions have distanced us somewhat, but they have also highlighted the importance, haven't they? I've sensed it, the importance of connectedness. We are not in this for ourselves. You're not in it for yourself. If you're a heart, you need to look left and right, back and forward. We're a body, part of a community. A human body operates together in perfect harmony. Movement happens because a multitude of things work together, right? That's the way it, it works. The operation of the human body depends upon the cooperation and interdependence of every part together. And for the church, that's true as well. Theologians call it mutuality, interconnectedness, interrelatedness. Christian faith is more than my relationship with God. It includes you. And you include me. We together, we're a team. We're part of the body, the body of Christ. And by the way, you're needed. You're needed. You may not realize it, but there are others who are watching for you. There are others who are looking for you. Others who are needing from you. A word of hope, a communication, a conversation. People are looking for that from you. They are. Your gifts, your spiritual enabling, joined with my gifts and my enablings, combined with the contribution of every member in this body, makes us grow in spiritual giftedness in the image of Jesus Christ. There's no rivalry. There's no competition. There's no division. It's not me against you or you against me or you against somebody else, but rather like 
Paul said in 1 Corinthians 12, 24, 25, but God has put the body together that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. Wow, just chew on that a little bit. Equal concern for each other. Never think, never think that your part in this body is unimportant. Never. If you think that thought, that's a thought of the devil. And if you're at home right now, worshiping with us, you may feel disconnected, but your part is vital. Just as vital as people who are here in this sanctuary. It is. And you play an important part in the encouragement and health of other people too. Though you may never gather here, you can still connect. Connect by a telephone. Connect by a written note. Connect by an email. Connect in some way. You're part of God's church as well. And that's what it is. One member helping another member. One member serving and encouraging, equipping, helping, restoring. That's how we are made in Christ's image, right? The Bible calls us the chosen people. We talked about that. The chosen people. And we all, you remember, we said that God didn't choose us like it's me over you or me better than you. His strategy is rather to bless the world through you. His choosing of you is to use you to, that he might choose others. That's what God is doing. One people, wholly in relationship with God, become his witnesses his ambassadors to the world. I want to finish that statement that Ellen White says in Acts of the Apostles. We started it a, a few minutes ago, but let's finish it now. The members of the church, those whom he has called out of darkness into his marvelous light, are to show, show forth his glory. The church is the repository of the riches of the grace of Christ, and through the church will eventually be made manifest even to the principalities and powers in heavenly places, the final and full display of the love of God. Wow, that is amazing. That is amazing. You are God's chosen, his possession, purchased through the blood of Jesus Christ, empowered by the Holy Spirit, commissioned to tell the world what Christ has done for you. That's who you are. He's called you, he's called me out of darkness into his marvelous light. He's called me out of self-seeking, out of self-centeredness, out of self-congratulating. Does that mean I don't do it anymore? No, I'm working on that. I'm still a work in progress. But God is working in me, making me into his wonderful light. That's what he is doing. That's what he's doing through you, through me, through us together. We are his light in the world, seeking justice and fairness and mercy and grace, loving kindness, forgiving enemies, extending kindness. Jesus said, we are like a town built on a hill. Matthew chapter 5, verse 14. That's what you are. Let your light so shine before others. It can't be hidden. It must not be hidden. You're called to bear the light of God's goodness, church. Danish theologian and author Soren Kierkegaard tells the story of a church attended, this is just a parable, okay? 
the parable of a church attended by a flock of domesticated geese. Strange church. Domesticated geese. Every week they waddled in, waddled in to church, listened to the preacher talk about the wonders of flight. We don't have to walk around the ground and stay in this place, the head gander exhorted. We can lift ourselves into the air. We can soar to distant regions. More blessed climbs. We can fly. Every week it was the same. And every week after hearing the sermon, all the geese quacked, Amen, and filed out the door, waddled back to their homes and to their own affairs. And all they had to do was flap their wings. You know, Satan wants nothing more than for us to be unplugged from God. Unplugged from God's power. Unplugged from God's Holy Spirit energizing. He wants us to be caught up in all sorts of things. Extremism and bigotry. He wants us to be caught up in greed and, and selfishness. He's sown seeds among us of lust that blooms into unfaithfulness. He sows seeds of distrust that, that creates divisions and separations. The, the devil is doing that. But Jesus said his church will not be overpowered. Jesus said his church will be victorious. Yes, it will. I know it will. Not because I believe in myself, but because I believe in him. Jesus said, on this rock I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Matthew 16, verse 18. Satan's kingdom of lies and distortion cannot withstand it. You notice that? The gates of Hades cannot overcome it. In other words, the good news is on the offensive. The gates of Hades cannot stop the good news offensive. The good news is going out there. The church of God overcomes by His strength, by His power. That's where my faith is. COVID has challenged us, challenged me. But I want you to know, church, I'm confident. I'm confident. Not in my strength, not in your strength, not in the resiliency of this place or institution, not in the permanence of this particular church, but rather, my confidence is in God. In God. His promises are secure and always sure. And then in the end, God will win. He is victorious.
Let's pray together. Father in heaven, you have called us. We are yours. You said that we're like a city set on a hill. By your strength and power, Lord, we, we consider that an honor and our joy to be your called people, your chosen, your family, your body, your people, your remnant. But without your strength, Lord, it's, it's an impossibility. And with your strength, like Paul said, all things are possible. So, so together, we here at Village Church and, and all our friends who gather with us online and, and through TV, we, we're together. We're praying this prayer that we might be your called out ones. We want to be your church, giving the message of good news and love and peace and hope to a world that's being torn, torn apart by all sorts of things, but we want to be your light. So Lord, send us. Send us as your agents. Help us to make this place into a beautiful place, a place, a gathering where you're exalted and every person that walks in is, is no longer a stranger, but a brother. Encouraged, strengthened to walk in your narrow way and to enjoy life in the family, life with you. That's our prayer, Lord, so send us and we go in your strength. In Jesus' name, amen.